podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, SelectQuote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote. We shop. You save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Hello and welcome to the five-year plan podcast athletic special. This is new ground for us. I can't believe it's taken us all season to do this. That's ridiculous. Uh, Yes, it's podcast 332 and I'm joined by three of the best men in the world. I'm really bigging this one up. Uh, We've got... I never plan my intros, uh, although I do have the call to action that I'll do. Actually, I'll do now. So basically, this is our uh, special podcast that we're going to do with the Crystal Palace Athletic Writers. Of course, we've been uh, supported by The Athletic all season. And I don't need to remind you that they are a world-class team of writers covering every club, including the best coverage of the world's oldest professional football club. They are a subscription-based website and app, and they're completely ad-free. No annoying pop-ups, no ads, just brilliant football just brilliant articles. Welcome to the new home of football writing. Smooth. And if you visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash FYP, you can start a seven-day free trial and receive 50% off your yearly subscription. And of course, you don't need me to tell you, You, will, I am now joined by Ed Mallion, Matt Wisdom, and Dom Fifield. Hello. There Ed, we go. Ed, where are you? You're doing, we're on Zoom. You, you've obviously changed the background to some American city or something, but where are you exactly? Pro- probably the American city that I'm actually in, mate. Uh, yeah, it's, this is the Chicago skyline. If you look at it, it's um, some would say the best skyline in America. I wouldn't dare to pass judgment on that. But yeah, currently in Chicago. It's Croydon with a lake. Croydon with a lake is not far off. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cold here. You've got you guys are taking all the good weather weirdly during uh, lockdown. So um, resenting Chicago a little bit at the moment. <laughs> the only man that could resent being in Chicago um lads listen so what we're going to do on this podcast is uh Dom sent a tweet out we've got some questions from the listeners which we'll put to them in a bit uh but what we're going to start off with is today 2nd of May 2020 it's exactly 10 years since survival Sunday when Palace drew at Hillsborough and famously stayed up a result that without which we wouldn't be in the Premier League now, and I don't even know if we'd be here doing this FYP podcast. We probably would, but just be a lot fewer listeners, I think. Um, now, uh, Matt, you have got a piece out today 
on Survival Sunday. Tell us a bit about it. Yep, so I spoke to a lot of the people involved to get sort of an inside track on sort of what went through people's heads, you know, what the atmosphere was like uh, in the dressing room beforehand, after the game, uh, you know, what people sort of thought of of the, the atmosphere in the stands and, you know, just generally what happened that day to get everyone's sort of thoughts on it. Um, so, you know, also ahead of the game, the build-up to the game, going up on the train beforehand, getting to the hotel, finding that the non-league pitch they were going to train on was waterlogged. Um, so that obviously wasn't the best start for them. It's very Palace. Um, kind of summed up that season, really, I think. Um, Who do you speak to, Matt? Against them. I spoke to uh, Darren Ambrose, of course. Um, I spoke to uh, Stephen Browett. Uh, I spoke to Charlie Mann, the 17-year-old substitute goalkeeper on the day, which I'm not sure how many people will remember that. I think he even conceded that you know, no one's really going to remember who was the substitute goalkeeper. Um, but he, he gave quite a decent insight, especially into you know, the atmosphere in, in the, the, uh, the dressing room after the game. He sort of talked about Alan Lee choosing the music, Proclaimers, um, I'm going to be 500 miles and letter from America. Yeah, um, the uh, we had we did the live pod with uh, Paddy back in January, and he mentioned that I think uh, Dom that was their song of choice all season. I think wasn't it 500 Remarkable, miles? Remarkable, isn't they... it? Always to deserve to get relegated for that alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that was a uh, as as Matt was talking there. I was just thinking about some of the characters. Unfortunately, I wasn't thinking about Charlie Mann. Unfortunately, and I actually li- literally haven't since that day. I don't think um, <laughs> that team had some absolute characters in it didn't it yeah um you're right i mean and matt also spoke to danny butterfield and, 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 and alan lee and people like that who we have to acknowledge were strong strong leaders in a in a strong dressing room um and and probably hauled the likes of and and sean scannell up with them to make sure that they you know that they they could perform in, in, in such a tense occasion as that final afternoon that was a team that you know normally speaking would have been going for the playoffs. They probably weren't good enough to get automatic promotion that season. Newcastle and West Brom were the best teams in the division, but but they they were in with a chance of emulating what they'd done the previous year and, and, and getting into the playoffs, definitely. And then, you know, Agilo comes along, puts the, the club aggressively into administration, uh, and we're cut 10 points and suddenly propelled into a into a relegation scrap. And I think it's it's testimony to the, to the character of the, of the group that they managed to... Yeah, keep their heads despite the fact that key players have been sold. The manager had walked out to go to QPR, um, and yet they still survived on that on that final day when they they needed a performance. As Dom as Dom sort of says, like I spoke to to Alan Lee and Danny Butterfield, but you know every time I speak to to these guys, like I've spoken to Alan Lee a few times, and you know, I spoke to Paul Hart as well to get his thoughts, and you know Matt Lawrence as well. You know all of these sort of players that were so instrumental in that season and especially in that game and the word that they all used independently of each other was warriors and you know I think Danny Butterfield said that they would run through walls for each other and that and you know they praised Paul Hart as well for just coming in and listening and taking on what needed to be done and speaking to Sean Derry and not trying to change too much from what Warnock did yeah, they all spoke really highly of Paul Hart. They said, you know, he didn't really do a lot. He just 
galvan helped galvanize them and helped continue what they were doing and that's what they needed because they essentially sort of manage themselves in a way yeah knowing how far training regimes have come i wouldn't be surprised if they literally were running through walls at that point <laughs> um ed i saw your face light up when dom mentioned alicine ndi uh, yeah, i think, I, I think I, you might I be the only the, i think you might officially have been or maybe still be the number one alison and i fan possibly in the world well i i uh i went, I went to the first game of the season and you'll have to tell me exactly which season it was, but Freddie Sears and Alessandro and Di both started. And, That's, that uh, season, possibly, wasn't it? Yeah, I remember. And my thing I remember was I was like, I love this new shirt. I love the, the <laughs> Nike shirt. So whoever plays the best on the first home game of the season, I'm going to get the shirt <laughs> with their name on the back. And it was between Freddie Sears and Alessandro and Di. And um, I leant towards and Di because I just thought he had uh, probably a higher ceiling on his career. You know, he probably was going to go on to big and great things. Mm. Um, and where was he playing last time we looked? Matt, was it Bulgaria? Yeah, I think it was. Was he still playing? It was Bulgaria. He he certainly was, mate. I mean, he's quite hard to track down these days. We did try. But uh, <laughs> there was there was one moment in that game where the ball came out the sky, like someone hoofed it right up in the sky and it came down. And then Di just plucked it out the sky with his right foot. And I was like, that first touch, you know, like that's what that tells you something about a player. And I was completely wrong, obviously. But uh, yeah, he, he was uh, he was a special guy. That whole team was special. Uh, I was I rewatched the uh, the game recently, and I'm sure people will be rewatching it today and this weekend as well. But you, you forget some of the moments around that, like within one minute, two minutes of the start, Calvin Andrews should absolutely be sent off for just kicking oh, the, yes. the Wednesday keeper in the face. He just studs the guy in the face. And it was yeah. right in front of the away end. And I remember I remember seeing it close up and it just immediately, you know, that, that thing where you just look at everyone else and you're like, was that as bad as I thought it was? Because <laughs> that looked pretty damn bad. And on the replays, it looks bad. But, you know, like, it's that refereeing thing that's always really weird that they, they essentially will always bottle a decision in the first two minutes of the game. Mm. And Palace for once benefited from that. Yeah, I'd completely forgotten about that. Um, there's so many moments around that. We did a thing on the Pod Extra recently where we built the perfect Palace player and we had to choose arms. And as other sales your Rob chose uh, Clint Hill's arms for, for fighting the fans after the game. I'd completely forgotten that happened as well. They were just wading into the fans, punching that, Wednesday fans. Mate, that, that took over my way home. My journey home was... Uh was long and precarious because uh, half of Sheffield was getting flipped upside down by the locals. Uh, I, I remember, I mean, what, we had 8,000 in the away end that day? Was it that many? I think it was about 6,000, 5,000, 6,000. Yeah, so I was, I was at uni at the time in Manchester and I, went, I, I came across. We went, we went to every away game after. I remember when we went to administration um, and the team were on the plane up to Newcastle and we went into admin. And me and my mate read the news, and uh, you've met Rivers, uh, Jim. Yeah. Uh, he was at uni in Sheffield, and I was at uni in Manchester, and we got chatting. I was like, man, we've got to go up to Newcastle, haven't we? You know, it's like a Tuesday night in Newcastle. I was like, it's only a few hours. So I got the train across to York, and he picked me up on the way. And we, we went to every away game after that for the rest of that admin season. So it was a very special, like, that run in, you know, and people don't talk about Watford away. That was one of my favorite ever away games, Derby yeah. away. Yeah. Derby way when it was 52 quid for a ticket by the way I still remember that uh, 52 quid for a ticket I had uh, you know I, I, we were buying uh, OAP tickets just to get in for half price <laughs> but and that was that, 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 that Stern John got the winner yeah the draw Mate, uh, yeah no, it was a draw. that was a draw late equaliser 
Did Sprani save a penalty in that Sprani game? All, a penalty. I, all, all I remember, all I remember is the ticket price. I couldn't even tell you the result. <laughs> um, Watford, Watford, we won three-one, I think. Yeah. Um, and an incredible moment when Matt Lawrence and Clint Hill, I think it was, like had a huge hug right in front of the away fans when they blocked someone, and everyone went mental, absolutely <laughs> lost it for a hug, and it was like it was just that. That was the thing of that period of supporting Palace especially at the away games is it was just like it was live or die because the yeah. club was going to live or die by that moment yeah. and that built up to Hillsborough in such a huge way and that's you know we had all those fans there and it and it ends up spilling over into yeah that weird thing at the end where like we're locked in but we don't care we're just you know we're just happy we survived and the Wednesday fans coming on the field and then like you know the players getting swamped and all that sort of stuff it was really bizarre but fundamentally everything had been building to that moment and you talk about the 10 points we lost on the biggest thing for me is that actually there was no goal difference deduction and the goal difference was massive in the end because it meant the palace you know going into those last few games basically had an extra point which was crucial in staying up and and not staying up and i would actually if i was the efl revise it so that you also take off some goals when you take off the points because otherwise it is an unfair advantage I'd again had completely forgotten that. I mean, ten a lot happens in ten years. So there's lots of things yeah. I've forgotten. But uh, I wonder how many people remember what happened in the game before uh, Hillsborough was West Brom at home. Neil Dan's getting sent off, headbutted Graham Dorans. Yeah, that's so right. See, I've completely forgotten that. So I've completely forgotten that. And Neil yeah. Dan's was a key player for Palace. He was he had scored a lot of the goals in the in the admin period. Actually, he, he was like he was our attacking midfield threat and absent on the on the crucial last last afternoon. The other the other great moment from the game, which we shouldn't forget, is 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 Leon Clark, who scored a who who robs Danny Butterfield illegally to yeah. to score yeah. the goal. Gets, goes and celebrates by kicking an advertising hoarding and breaks a toe, and then gets stretched off. Point. It's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> it's, a, it's a massive, it's a massive turning point. Yeah. And you know, when you when you rewatch the game, it is funny you remember these moments. And I say the Calvin Andrew thing where he just studs the keeper straight in the face. Uh, and the other one, just as a fan that you remember like, more than anything, is do you remember when Stern John breaks no, away, and he hits the post, don't. and it hits the and it rolls along the goal line. And he had, he had someone square. Is one... Darren Ambrose was square. He's really yeah. good in yeah. talking about this. We spoke about this and, and he basically says he's really disappointed, but he's not disappointed for himself. Like He's disappointed that he doesn't follow it up and you because know, he eventually follows it up, but he's not quite close enough because Lee Grant smothers it. <sighs> but he's disappointed that he doesn't get to go and celebrate with the fans because he says that if that has got, if he squares it and, and he tucks it in, then you know, loads of Chef Wednesday fans would go home. They knew it'd be over, so they can celebrate with the fans. But obviously, at full time, there was a pitch invasion. So a lot of the players, I mean, Clint Hill gets down there and has to fight his way back up. But a lot of the players and and Paul Hart as well, you, know, they can't go and go and celebrate with the fans. They don't get the opportunity to celebrate. So Ambrose is talking about how he would have loved to have celebrated with the fans. Should we do? I'm just as you're saying that. I mean, again, I'd forgotten that. I, I can't really remember what I did after the game. I remember, weirdly, we walked out of the away end because we were there for a while. I've got a picture of me outside the away end with no one else there, so we must have been there for ages. Mm. But we we randomly bumped into Mark Goldberg and we had this weird standoff moment. We were like, oh, that's Mark Goldberg. And then we all gave him a big group hug. It, for some reason, it felt like the right thing to do at that time, which is a bit weird. Um, should we be doing... Did you get caught up? 
in the did you get caught up in the stuff afterwards with the Wednesday fans? No, because we I was in the top tier. So my because we obviously we weren't going back south. Um, me and my friends were going back to Manchester and Leeds and Sheffield because we were all at uni, and um, we I remember we walked down the road from Hillsborough, and, and it must have been way after the game's finished because we were held in for a long time and we just celebrated, man. We just had a good time. Uh, been drinking cans since like what eight a.m. So like you're pretty exhausted as it was uh and we were walking down the road and this policeman just stops us and he goes he could hear our accents he's like are you are you palace fans and we're like yeah he goes i would not walk down this road and i was like we were like what do you mean he was like he was like if you're not going to get to the station if you walk down this this way wow so which way do we go like we look on the map what, because there'd be, like, what, what, there's wednesday we... fans down there or something yeah raging wednesday fans like shaking police fans um wow. like you know destroying people's front gardens and stuff like that like, so we had to, we turned the other way and it, instead of being like a normal like 20 minute walk to the station we walked for about an hour and 45 wow. uh uh we had to go like the, the whole long way around to find it and all i can remember thinking like after that is just thank god we survived it because the whole day ended up being such a stressful ordeal in terms of like we got home really late and like everywhere we went we got treated like absolute crap and you were so nervous and you were so like you just felt terrible all day long but even that hour and 45 minutes walking to the station we were just glowing yeah i just remember feeling like like the the, the only i can't say it's too loud in case someone hears in the house but the only golden glowing feeling feeling i've had like that was like when i got engaged basically <laughs> Like when when it's just like something great has happened and I feel on cloud nine yeah. and you didn't even know the club was going to survive. That was the big thing. You didn't even know what the next step was at that point. And, you know, we hadn't had the Lloyds thing at that stage. We hadn't had all the stuff that came after that, but we knew that we had a, like a much better chance. Well, yeah. I, and, and like the team had done all it there could. There was still actually quite a lot to be done, actually, in, in saving the club. That one game, you know, didn't mean it was done. Don, what was your post-match experience? Because mine was very different to Ed's because we, we, we got on a bus back to the town centre uh, so we avoided all the uh, raging Wednesday fans and then we walked into a pub and it was full of Sheffield United fans and we got welcomed like kings <laughs> it was amazing applauded into the place it was unbelievable what, what, what I, did you do? I, for the life of me I can't remember what I did post-match I I, I spent the last I was talking to Chris Waters who I, I went with to the to that game he's a big Palace fan you're clapping grand on the old um, on Twitter everybody will know him yeah. and um, we sat top tier as well and he reminded me when I was asking to jog my memory before this that I spent the last 10 minutes of the game with my parker, the hood of my parker zipped up so that I literally couldn't see out because I couldn't take it at all. Yeah. I was sitting down, head head in hands, basically. Thank, thank, thankfully, I wasn't working that day because it would have been a difficult game to cover. I know one journalist with Palace Persuasions, uh, I don't know whether he was working, but he he left the ground ten minutes before the end because he couldn't cope with the the tension of it all, wow. and that was at two one up. So I mean, <laughs> imagine what he would have been like at two all. Um, yeah, I don't remember post match at all. Well, I, I remember the drive home. I remember being quite elated then, but it, it, we we'd gone up and down um, to Sheffield in the day. But um, who drove? I drove. I drove. Chris nah. Chris was paralytic, but I, I drove. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny what the club put us yeah. through, isn't it? Like uh, I. You talk, Ed's talking about being tired. I remember after the playoff final in 2004, uh, and we obviously we won and went up, and everyone else went out drinking, celebrating. I just went back to my hotel and fell asleep because I was so tired. Because like these these <laughs> it, football matches, but there's so it? much riding on them, are so draining. Yeah. 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 After Hillsborough, I went to bed at 9:30. Yeah. I don't know uh, if you remember. It was a 1 p.m. kickoff. Um, I think, and 
yeah i've been drinking since 8am like the emotion the emotion was just like there was nothing left like my voice was gone my body was gone i remember getting back and just crashing for probably like 14 15 hours because i was a student as well so no one even cares when you wake up but uh, you know i even remember like don was there as a fan and i got to sheffield station and i was getting in a taxi and this guy goes oh do you mind if i hop in with you guys it's like sure no worries so we started chatting to him it turns out he was a journalist from the observer uh, a guy called Stuart James who I'd never heard of. Um, so I, I started chatting to Stu and, you know, I was filling him in on the background of administration, what the, you know, what the kind of repercussions would be for Palace either way, how the season had built to this point. And I read Stu's report in The Observer the next day and I was like, Jesus Christ, this is basically all the stuff I told him. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then fast forward like 10 years and uh, Dom and Stu both work with us uh, and Matt at The Athletic, which is great because it turns out Stu's an incredibly good football writer. But like that was uh, the first time I met like a, a football journalist like on the day sort of thing, like winding into a game. And I was like, wow, this is fascinating. Like this, this would be a pretty sick job to do at some point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I didn't know, I, I didn't know that I'd be friends with Stu like a decade later. Uh, Stu's pieces are very, very, very good for anyone that hasn't read them on The Athletic. Although by this point, I'm pretty sure that all our listeners now subscribe to The Athletic. Um, I'm going to wrap up this part, guys, because we have got questions from our listeners. Before I do so, Ed, uh, do you want to mention how you're on the front page of the BBC? Because that seems to come up most times when we talk about this game. <laughs> well... Uh, it wasn't my fault, Jim. What can I say? Um, obviously, when the game, you know, it's the classic thing on that YouTube video, which I still watch, which is the BBC coverage. And so it starts off with Mark Bright doing this really like moody walk. And he's like, I've had this fixture circled for weeks. This was the game between my two old clubs. Only one can oh, survive. Yeah, was, like, that's the intro. The you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, it was the Brighty Derby, right? Yeah. So there was that intro. Um, and then on the BBC coverage, just after we secure the draw, when the final whistle goes, obviously it does a few cuts to the fans and it just cuts to me and a group of like four or five of my friends who we are with climbing all over each other, celebrating wildly, crying a little bit, you know, whatever was needed at the time. Uh, and then, you know, they, they popped on the front page of the BBC. Obviously, they, you know, certain people, I think, were more aesthetically pleasing than others. And they decided the Alisson and Di shirt was the one that needed to be front and centre. Yeah. Uh, the big 33. Yeah. So, yeah, Alisson. Alisson, by the way, that's got to be someone we track down at some point for a podcast. But uh, that's for another time. 100%. 100%. Uh, lads, fantastic memories. Uh, and I think the club are putting out the whole game uh, in its entirety on their social channels today at 3 p.m. So keep an eye out for that. Make it your afternoon. Um, after the break, we've got some questions for the athletic team from our listeners. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Welcome back to the five-year plan athletic special. Hello. It's a bit of a delay there from Chicago. Do you see that? <laughs> Lockdown is really getting to us. Um, lads. Well, is this the first international podcast? Um, possibly, yeah. 
Yeah, it must be. Yeah, it was the first time, you know, we've only been doing remote ones since the lockdown. And I think you're our first international uh, contributor. So congratulations. Well, if if we start breaking down that wall, then maybe it's time to get a few former Palace players abroad. Get them on. Get stuck in. Very good. Very good shout. Uh, we would happily do that. Uh, yes, that'd be wicked. Let's liaise on that and make that happen uh, at some point. Um Right, so uh, Dom sent out a tweet and we got questions from our listeners uh, who are itching to ask you guys some things. I'm going to do the democratic approach I've done for the last few pods. I've numbered them, 1 to 17, and uh, you can all pick a question. Matt, let's go to you first, mate. 1 to 17. Pick a number. 5. 5 is from Mick Woolley. Hi, Mick. Who is a very nice guy. And he says, does it matter how old the club is? (laughs) that's a good question Um, I think it matters to whoever wants it to matter if someone like if if someone cares about it then who are we to sort of say that it doesn't matter I think in the grand scheme of things it's it's a nice thing to look at and and to consider I mean I think the the video that Palace did was really good and really interesting um, to see that you know, in theory, potentially Palace could be the oldest professional club in the world. Um, you know, it, it's a really interesting claim, and and you know, to see the evidence behind it. Um, you know, I, I can see that Notts County probably aren't too happy about that. Um, but you know, I, I think it's it certainly matters. If, if if it matters to you, then that's great. I mean, I don't see why anyone would have a problem with you know trying to claim that being the oldest club in the world is is a problem do you know what i mean like it's important to people it's important to the club and the club's history i think that's a good uh, mantra for life in general if it matters to you it's important i actually might that make that the uh, fyp motto um ed what was your reaction when uh this broke because i mean matt's right it's a, it's a fairly big claim yeah I, I mean for me i think it obviously it has value to the club for sure um from the point of view is that the club has to market themselves. And I think if we say that we are the oldest and we have a legitimate claim to be the oldest football club in the world, then that's a pretty strong, it's a pretty strong pillar for your marketing strategy, right? It's pretty good to be able to say that. Now, I have no particularly strong held view on whether it's important to fans or anything. Uh, I think it's kind of cool. I think it's kind of funny. Uh, like it'll probably piss off a few people, which might be the biggest thing it's got going for it. Uh, but like, it's great, you know, and I think it certainly would tie in well with the new stand if it ever gets built, because, you know, the Crystal Palace imagery with the new stand is obvious. And and as we get closer to that, I think fans want the club to be tied to its history. I think Steve has been clear about that throughout and, you know, he's always prioritised that. So it is an interesting thing to happen. I wouldn't say it's necessarily important, but it, it certainly can have a value to the club, which I think really is what most of us care about. Uh, all right, a follow-up question to that then would be, um, well, two follow-up questions. I'll go to Dom for this one. Do we expect the FA to to recognise it, to even respond? And then the second question, and anyone can answer this one if they want, off the back of what Ed is saying, do we know anything about the stand? the main stand or like everything that's happening with COVID-19 at the moment everything is just on the back burner well I'll take the FA question I I, I don't expect them to to ratify it in any way no I think it would probably be kicking a hornet's nest as far as they're concerned they they will look at the 19 year hiatus um, and and wonder you know why fixtures weren't played then and and I know the ownership 
is essentially the same in both in both the guises of the club. But the reality is that 19 years is quite a long time, as I think Andy Street made the point on your podcast last week. Um, it's that there may have been games played away from home in that period. We just don't know, but I, I can't see them annoying Notts County. Sheffield FC, whatever, and 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 and, and denying them that, that that title, I don't think it really matters either. To be honest, I, I, I love the story. I think it's brilliant, as Ed says. It sort of gets us in with the local community more. It's lovely that we've got a link, yeah. but it's very obvious now to the original site because every time I go up to Crystal Palace and, and that park, and you live the history of the place, the dinosaurs, the actual, you know, the parade, the, the actual terrace that the, the Crystal Palace stood on. I mean, that's, yeah. that's partly really why I got obsessed with Crystal Palace back in the day. Cause I, I was fiercely proud of that local area's history. And, and I think we're now even more part of that. I'll take yeah. a follow up, Jim. Go on in. Um, so I broke the story, the uh, sort of update on, on the stadium, uh, last week on the athletic, um, so there's been progress over the redevelopment of the stadium. Um, so the main issue is around section 106, um, which is like a legal agreement with community improvements. Um, so the whole point of, of section 106 is basically without it, massive uh, infrastructure in, in sort of uh, urban areas would never get built otherwise. So there's got to be something going back to community. So um, you know, following sort of uh, a letter from the council, Croydon Council recently, um, Palace have sort of made significant progress and sort of they're, they're sort of now agreeing to a, a, a timeline over Section 106 um, to fund those improvements. Okay, good. Um, you, mentioning Section 106 reminds me of being a local reporter in Sevenoaks and attending council planning meetings. And I hoped I'd never have to hear the phrase Section 106 <laughs> ever again. So I know exactly what you mean. Matt, Matt, did you publish, you publish something last week about the the new stand? That's right. Was it last week? Yeah, it was last week. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's, that's yeah. So we've we've got a free trial going. So anyone who does want to read that stuff, there's a 90 day free trial. They can just sign up and then read all of Matt and Dom's stuff for the next three months without even having to pay for it. Uh, but I don't think anyone has more information on what's going on with the new stand uh, than Matt does. So it's it's definitely worthwhile reading. Beautifully done. Uh, let's move on to the next question then ed do you want to pick us a number one to 17 please uh let's take um number 13 i like the way you really oh good choice my friend not only for the subject of the question but also for the person i don't trust you at all (laughs) when you say it's a good choice this comes from a twitter user uh who calls himself cpfc boiling piss (laughs) strong yep yep Strong. Uh, so it's a question. About, I'm going to paraphrase it. It's a question about uh, takeover. So they've they've asked about the Thaksin Sinawatra rumours, which I'm assuming are just rumours. But I want to extend that. Do we know anything more about the takeover, or again, with the stand during this lockdown? Does that put talks, potential talks that were happening, on the back burner as well? Does everything, including takeover, get put back a bit? I passed the dom on this. Oh, you can't really, do that. You picked the question. No, 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 no. no. Right, okay. It's like uh, university well, challenge. Uh, nominate Dominic no, no, Fifield. No, no, no. <laughs> Not nominate Fifield. Uh, no, I. So th- there are a couple of things at play here, right? One, the first thing of all, and the most frustrating for Palace fans and Newcastle fans um, have definitely found this. It's incredibly difficult to report on takeovers. 
It's incredibly difficult to report on takeovers for a number of reasons. Um, but the, the biggest one is three letters, NDA. Uh, there are times when you get information about takeovers from someone who has signed an NDA and you obviously can't use it uh, or have to be very careful how you use it and things like that. Um, these deals are protected for a reason. And they're very important, big money deals, and they are complicated by, by nature. Obviously, when a takeover is going through, there's so many steps you have to go through in terms of due diligence and, and all the, yeah, I mean, the fit and proper person's test that the Premier League put you through is, is probably the weakest and, and the last thing that you have to do. Everything else before that takes a lot of time, a lot of work. Um, and I, to be honest, I haven't been trying to find out anything about the takeover during this period because I've been so busy with work. Um, but that's why I, I was happy to defer to Dom or Matt on that, just because I know as a rule that, and I've reported on a few takeovers at other clubs before, and it is difficult, um, because of the flow of information is, is legally regulated, uh, in a way that it isn't for other stories. Uh, but otherwise I'll just pass over to Dom. I mean, I'd say... I'd say that the Palace clearly would be interested in extra investment. That's that's very obvious. Um, we have had a round of um, the, the Americans want to sell stories. Um, they didn't seem to go anywhere. And the way it was put to me was, um, well, the mood really fluctuates almost from almost from game to game at, at, at times. You know, Harrison Blitzer aren't always over. Uh, to watch matches, but when they do come over, I think they came to the Bournemouth game where we were went down to ten men, Sacco sending off, and it, it was, you know, a, a typically sort of rousing Sellers Park night. And it it may have been it's a great game. That it was. It may have been at the start of that evening. You know, the, the inclination of some of the owners may have been to sell. At the end of that evening, it may not be quite so anxious to sell because it was obviously quite an enticing atmosphere and, and they saw the best of of what Crystal Palace has to offer. But I, I don't think there's any great rush here. I think the landscape of Premier League football, or football in general, is going to be very different when we come out of uh, suspension. Um, it, it may be that, I mean, most clubs will be pushed for cash. They'll be strapped for it. That they, they, They'll be looking for innovative ways to... To, to spend money in the transfer market, I don't think Palace would be any worse position than anyone else in that in that respect. The only thing that we've got slightly going against us is a very large wage bill um, and and not massive commercial income through the gates at, at Sellers Park. But they found ways of getting around that for the last few years, and, and, and I'm pretty confident they'll find ways of doing it in the future as well. Um, so let's let's see what the landscape looks like. Once football's back up and running again, and we've got fans in grounds, and you know the Premier League is is back to what we would descri- describe as normal, um, and then see what comes out. The, the, the Shinawatra stuff was a a, a rumour that was denied at the time by the club, and that was about eighteen months ago, I think. So I, I wouldn't pay too much attention to that one. A question, Dom, not really on the takeover as much, just in general. I've you know I've been reading a lot that has been written in the last few weeks about the return of football after coronavirus particularly like stuff that like David Ornstein and Adam Crafton have done about, you know, there are, we've heard there are players who don't want to go back to play. There are clubs for whom it would be very difficult to go back to their stadiums, like Brighton and Tottenham. Uh, their, their grounds are being used by the NHS and things like that. And there are other reports that we've read, you know, there are certain clubs in the Premier League who are significantly going to be more affected financially by this than others. 
Uh, where would you put Palace on the scale of like one to twenty in the league in terms of being affected by coronavirus? I suspect slap bag in the middle, really. Um, Palace, Palace do better now commercially from from games at Sellers Park than they than they did in the past. But then you know, by no means anywhere near the the, the Tottenham Hotspurs of this of this world, or you know, the, the, of, you know, the, the elite in terms of the. That's I mean, that's why they want to develop the stadium. But um, that's they need they need the revenues that that, that will bring. Um, they they have got backers. I mean, they have got two billionaires on the board. Um, so it's. I think. I think they have the. I mean, it's interesting actually that of, of all the clubs that we've heard talking to players about wage deferrals and wage cuts, we haven't heard anything on Palace. Palace haven't gone down that route yet, and, and that's not to say they won't have considered it or that they wouldn't actually welcome it from the, from the players. I'm sure. It's you know it's, it's only sensible that if you can get some kind of some kind of relief in this time, then you, then you probably would probably look and explore that option, but. But they, they don't seem to be pushing as hard as other clubs are. And that is despite the fact they are saddled with a very large wage bill. In fact, all the noises that have come out of the club in this period have been very, very positive And they, they, they've done very, very well. They, they've resisted the temptation to, to furlough staff. They haven't done that. They haven't, you know, ploughed into the, the government scheme on that front. Again, I'm sure they would have considered it, but they haven't gone down that route. Um, and you know they guarantee that they're providing meals for the for the local NHS and for the, for, the, for the needy. They're doing great great work with the foundation still as well. And everything they've done has been admirable. Um, it doesn't strike me from looking in that, that they are a club that is well. I mean they're coping as well as anyone else is really, and, and probably better than a lot. Um, so that has to be a, a, a positive, but. But this this is a situation that is going to test clubs day by day. That's not to say in a week's time that changes. I mean, it might do. It's 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 uncharted territory. All of this, and the longer we go on without football, the longer society goes on like this, we're gonna, you know, it's gonna throw up new problems uh, every, every day. Well, thank and you. On that note, sorry, Jim. Just on that note, Dom. I don't. I think you. Know, people might wonder, like, does this affect the stadium redevelopment, etc., etc. But you know, with, with the academy redevelopment and the stadium redevelopment, I'm not too sure. I don't. I'm not convinced that anything major will change as a result of this. I think that you know, time frames. Maybe time frames will get extended, but you know, by and large, I think most of that side of things will remain the same. Yeah. Um. I. I. Following on from what Dom's saying, I think actually Palace have come out of all of this looking really good actually in terms of what they're what they're doing and in terms of where their morals are with with everything actually, which is great. It's good to hear from Dom that. It... Does that surprise you? Not really. Because no, no, not really. I, I think the club have been very good on stuff like optics really for the last few years now. Uh, since Steve, I mean, since Steve Parish has, has been in charge, I think they think about these things more than some other clubs. Um. And the other clubs that have got themselves in embarrassing situations throughout this period, it's usually from not thinking things through, you know, and, and thinking about how that, that how that looks on us as a community club. And I, I don't think anyone denies that, that uh, the current management of the club very much see how we are in the community. And uh, for me, I, I doubt they even seriously considered it because of, as much as it is a cash flow alleviation thing, um, they know the downsides. Uh, yeah, but I mean, that, all of that is unsurprising when you've got a man as experienced at marketing uh, at the head of the club. Um, I've got a question here from Akos Kovac, one of our uh, our number one Hungarian fan and listener. 
He says, I have a special question for the Superstar Journopod today. I'll leave the three of you to work out who he's talking about uh, with that one. Well done, guys. But it says, um, is there a succession plan in place at the club? And if yes, is Roy consulted or involved in such process? Anyone fancy this one? Yeah, succession plan. Eventually, Matt will replace Dom. <laughs> and then one day, we're, we're currently in talks with a couple of toddlers who, in 20 years' time, yeah. might be ready to replace Matt. Right. And then after that, we're just going to take it year by year. And is Roy consulted on that? Uh, yeah, no, Roy really doesn't like Dom. So uh, he was pushing for the replacement, to be honest. Uh, oh, this is a question we get a lot, actually, to be fair, Ed. I'm, I'm, the, I'm assuming... I'm... I don't even know if it's, it's discussion. Oh, You'd no, have no, thought that an, Roy would be consulted in that kind of thing. Let's answer the proper question, right? Um, but I would say the club have been thinking about ha- who will replace Roy since the day they hired Roy. That, As far as I know, like they've been aware of his age from the day he put his age down on the con- his birthday on the contract. You know, like that's not a secret. So they've been thinking about it. Uh, obviously, that role in a traditional club would fall to Dougie Freeman. My understanding would be that him and Steve would le- would lead that search, um, but Dom and Matt would obviously know a lot more about it than I would. Yeah, I think that's right, Ed. I mean, I think you know, there ideally they would look for a young younger manager. Um, you know, not necessarily. There aren't many older managers. Exactly. <laughs> 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 um, you know, sort of someone who you know will progress the club and and almost sort of work in a long-term plan um you know carry on with what Roy has done and yeah you know Roy's done a fantastic job um at, at steadying the ship stabilizing things and you know Palace are looking to sign younger players and and develop players for the future and I think that's kind of the the sort of manager they'll be looking for as well is someone that they can sort of help progress potentially um you know not necessarily the finished article yeah, that makes sense. Um, is it, what sort of names are out there? I'm not even. It's a, it's a problem, isn't it? Because uh, you, you, know, you know what, it's not even worth going down that road because because it will just sort of frenzy. Agree. The Roy Hodgson's just signed a new contract. He's he's at some point the last year of his contract will kick in, whether it be you know August if if the new season starts in August or, or you know, later in the year. And this has now been elongated by the, the current process. Um, he, I, it's a good question about whether he'll be consulted. I, I sort of doubt that he will, to be honest. I mean, it's it sort of. It would, I think he'd find it a bit odd choosing his successor. Um, but you know, then again, I suppose if if everything's done amicably and, and they agree that possibly that, that that year will be his last year at the club, and, and you know, Roy, you know, Roy Hudson, Roy Hudson's enthusiasm isn't going to dim. He's he's going to carry on. He'll think he's got another year in him at the end of the, at the end of this year's contract. So we will have to see how things play out. But you know, you got somebody there with vast experience. You could tap into his experience and ask for his advice. But the squad could look very different then. Every, yeah. A lot of things. I mean, at the moment, the squad sort of feels right for Roy Hodgson, doesn't it? Let's be honest. It's sort of, you know, etched in his... It sort of personifies him in many ways. A, a, a lot of very, very good, professional, uh, older players. Um, the oldest squad in the in the Premier League. And, and I suspect that that squad will, will, will morph in the next uh, 15, 18 months. And then uh, they'll, they'll have to look for a manager that can get the best out of those players. Speaking of which, would you guys like a transfer question? How do we feel about that? Or again, is that is that something? No, go for it. Go on. Lee Burnham, Lee Burman, sorry, says, "How does the club stand financially in comparison to others post COVID nineteen world?" 
my my simplistic view would be that the AWB and potentially Wilf money may put us at an advantage in a buyer's market. But am I being optimistic? Which makes a change as a Palace fan. Yeah, can't answer that because what Wilf money? I mean, you, the it's just it's it's too hypothetical, um, and, and no one knows what it's going to look like after this. We, the, the suspicion is that that people won't be paying huge fees for players post COVID. And that's that is the sort of natural assumption, um, but we don't know that that's definitely going to be the case. Palace, Palace are quite advanced with. I know I keep saying this, and I've said this so many times on podcasts, and it never really works out. But um, Palace have got a a list of players that they were going to pursue at the end of this season, headed by Nathan Ferguson, who will be a, a Palace player on July the first. I would bet. Um, and and that will go to a tribunal, so they won't actually have to pay a fee for him until potentially another fifteen months after that, because these tribunals take ages to sit. So it's effectively, effectively a free transfer signing um, on July the first. Um, but I suspect that's the type of market they'll have to operate in now. Uh, I don't think the money will be as as it was initially envisaged. They might spend they might spend eight figures on a on a, another fullback, or they'll they'll be looking for a striker, obviously, but. But it, it, if they wanted to bring four players in and the budget was £50 million before, COVID could easily make that £20 million now. But, you know, it's all relative. £20 million might get you the £50 million worth of players that you had originally on your list. So we'll have to see. Some relevant stuff um, to Palace, I've heard from agents and stuff about other clubs, just in case fans are interested, is they now expect this summer to be a lot of, the clubs who have the big, big, big squads, which Palace don't really have. In fact, we have a very thin squad. But the clubs of the big squads are looking to get rid of wage earners, basically. You know, the guys who are on the, the periphery of the squad earning a lot of money, they will go for a lot of these big clubs this year. And we're also going to see people wanting to, like, get in on the Bosman deals. So I think Ryan Fraser's contract was up this summer at Bournemouth. And there was, you know, rumours about Arsenal and other clubs like that being interested. But there was a feeling he might end up at somewhere like Everton or or something like that. Whereas now, I think it's more likely that we're going to have bigger clubs going in for players like Ryan Fraser. He was literally one that, that someone pointed out to me as, because he's free and he's available, if you can bring him in just for salary and signing on fee, it's good. You know, That's the sort of player you'd love us to go after. But if you look at other clubs, I think what we're going to see is much smaller fees this year than you're used to. And there might even be, and I know people are very sceptical about swap deals, but we might even see swap deals because a lot of it is about moving around your assets and, and the salary implications of those assets, basically. So hopefully that helps people understand a little bit better. Like the transfer market's going to look different this year. It's not just Palace. Um, even the biggest clubs are tightening their belts in a big way. Well, one thing that is quite interesting with Palace, and it does probably mark them slightly differently to other clubs, is we don't have any players out of contract this summer, apart from the third-choice goalkeeper. There's a lot of suggestions that Scott Dan was out of contract, but he's got another year. That There are no free transfer Bosmans leaving Palace this summer. And, you know, that 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 could work either way, I guess. I mean, a few of those players might, might, wanted, might have wanted to move on. I mean, the likes of Max Meyer possibly haven't had much game time. Even Scott, I know he's been in the team of late, but you know the, he sees himself as a first team regular. And he, will he be a first team regular if everybody's fit? 
probably not these days. So, but, but again, will people take those clubs on? Well, so take those players on. I mean, they're on big money. Um, it's all very well having these aspirations to to trim around the edges of a high earning squad, but you've got to have a club that's going to be willing to pay those players the same wage, and that's not always easy. No, it's going to be very interesting, and the contract issue comes into it as well with a lot of players uh, contracts ending at the end of June is that right and then there's talk about yeah they, they all end on the 30th of June but as I say Palace don't know, they're not in that situation so there will be players that, that, that will still be playing for their current clubs in July and August if this season extends that far um, as per FIFA's recommendations I imagine that's what we'll adopt over here eventually but it's an all very awkward situation look at, look at Chelsea Chelsea have got William and Pedro out of contract on June the 30th. Pedro's already said that he's leaving on June the 30th. He won't be a Chelsea player July the 1st. I mean, if William does the same, Chelsea arguably are going to have, well, they definitely will have fewer options on July the 1st to continue this season. They've also lost a key player in William if he leaves. I mean, it's it's a really, really awkward one. And imagine as well, if you have, you know, a, a cup final and things like that, you know, that's that, there are so many interesting stories that are occurring around the world where like a player's contract was supposed to run out um, or they were going to retire and now they're extending their career or they're cutting it short. You know, we're going to see so many different ones of these. And I'd say the best thing you can say is that Palace don't really have any of them. It's very simple, it seems. All right, well, look, from something simple that definitely isn't, just quickly before I go on to uh, Dom's pick for the question, do, do we know what the latest is with football returning? It seems that we're getting confusing, conflicting stories every day about what people want. I'm sure that's because discussions are going on now and things are going back and forth, but... Do we know anything of the latest? The Premier League met today. The Premier League met. To, um, sorry, Premier League met on Friday. Um, yes, yesterday. Because yesterday. We are recording that's on Saturday. That's when they met. And um, uh, I don't think anything. There, there weren't any major decisions made. It's it's going to drag on because um, there are so many vested interests at work here. And the bottom line is, there's an awful lot of of men who are used to getting their way sat in a, various different rooms on Zoom like we are <laughs> um, all wanting the best for their particular club um, but none of them really know what's going to happen none of them really know what the government's going to suggest none of them know what the medics are going to suggest nobody even knows what the living virus is going to do next so it's it's impossible I think at the moment to you know to say definitely when things are going to get back to normal I think it'll be some time yet though. there you go uh, right Dom your question. Pick me a number, one to seventeen, please. Go <laughs> go with my 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 door number in Fortland Park Avenue in South Norwood. Number seventeen, please. Oh, love that. Uh, it's from Matthew Hoyles. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Matthew. He says, "Was Itzak Zohar actually better than I remember?" Well, I can Difficult only ass- to know because we don't know how if Matthew yeah, thinks he was good or bad. I can only assume he thought he was awful. <laughs> I, I I love I love stories about Itzik Zohar because he he is I find him so intriguing. You know, he's since he left since he quit football, he's been an actor. He's had a sort of promotional career. Um, he's been very much involved in Israeli beach soccer. Um, and anyone who saw him playing for Palace and the few outings he had would probably think that he, that was probably better suited to him than than the footballing career that he did take because I think we we paid what one and and a bit million for him um, from Royal Antwerp and at the time that was quite a lot of money and he did absolutely diddly squat for Palace um, 
until he rests that ball away from Bruce Dyer in the game on Boxing Day in 1997 against Southampton. Uh, one all with four minutes to play. Well, no, it was probably a bit longer than that, probably about ten minutes. And, and Palace still haven't won a home game all season. He he obligingly pats the ball straight back to Paul Jones, who, who claims it very easily, and that's the last we ever saw of him. Um, but what I love about his story is that Palace, he was broken at the end of that game, obviously, because he was the scapegoat for another dreadful home performance and, and still no wins. So Palace gave him some compassionate leave to go back to Israel just to chill out and just to calm down, calm himself down, get his head right and come back again. Apparently, while he was over there, he decided to turn out for Maccabi Haifa in a friendly against Milan. You know, so this is a Palace-contracted player who cost an awful lot of money. He's decided he's going to go and play in a friendly in his home country when he's not been allowed to by the club. And wouldn't you know it, Maccabi Haifa win a penalty in that game. He takes it and misses it. <laughs> no way! Yep. That is, it's Zohar summed up. Um, so, no, your memory hasn't played tricks on you. He was bloody awful. <laughs> is he someone... We we can track down. I don't think I'll be choosing. I don't think I'm doing that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, there you go. Uh, someone that was very Palace uh, in a way. I, I thought you were going to say he then got injured and came back to Palace injured, but actually missing a penalty is more Palace uh, in many ways. Guys, we've come to the end of this first Athletic Special podcast. Um, thanks for joining me. This has been fun getting together, isn't it? Very much. So. Yeah. Well, I'm so bored most of the time now that uh <laughs> low this, bar, is, th- this is this is the bright spot in my friday so all i can say is thank you very much for your time today guys and your friday yeah my friday i mean oh yeah sorry no i know saturday <laughs> because today is saturday uh yeah happy, i have to say you got up in the middle of the night for this one ed as well yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I did i did because um it's dark outside right now and that is definitely where i am but uh, yeah, Jim, thanks for having us. Um, and Matt and Don, thanks for providing all the insight because uh, I can't do too much of that these days, but it's fun to talk Palace at least. Yeah, and I should say as well that you can uh, see Dom and Matt's brilliant Palace coverage at theathletic.co.uk. And if you go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash FYP, you can start a seven-day free trial and receive 50% off your yearly subscription. Uh, lads, keep up the good work. Um, we should do one of these again at some point because I'm sure this season will rumble on basically forever. <laughs> so let's catch up again at some point, uh, maybe when we know what's happening with life in general. But it's been ne- wonderful. Next, uh, next game where Palace are actually playing with fans, we should do a huge celebration pod. Right, so 2022, I will see you all for another <laughs> pod. Now, it'd be lovely to catch up and do a Appreciate your efforts uh, with all the reporting and chatting to me today. We hope you've enjoyed this special one-off athletic FYP combo. Uh, we're back at the weekend with some more pod extra for the patrons at patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast. And then back next week with another nostalgic pod with uh, the original lineup. Uh, in the meantime, stay safe, look after yourself, and we'll see you again soon. Podcast Network.